And I invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And so if you have a Bible, you can feel free to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 18 through 19. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. And so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you take a seat, I want to just take a moment to pray for our time as we continue in worship together. So let's, let's pray. Father, right now in this moment, I am just uniquely filled with gratitude for the gift of life. Lord, we thank you for the gift of our mothers in particular, for the gift of these children whom we have dedicated. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless them, to form them and shape them in the image of Jesus. And may we be formed and shaped by them as we grow together as the family of God. And so, Lord, as we gather as your family in this time, we ask for your spirit to awaken within our hearts that which is silent, that which is dead. Would you enliven within us that which is no longer living? Would you bring into our minds and hearts a truth that we are so prone to forget? And so, Lord, in this time, would you reveal yourself to us? And may we see the beauty of the world in which you've created, your hand at work in and through the work of your people, And so would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this time be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, This is uh, Walter Orthman. We've got a picture of Walter Orthman here. Walter Orthman is 100 years old, and he just received the world record for working at the same company for the longest period of time, for 84 years. In 1938, Walter started out working for this company in Brazil as a shipping assistant, and he kind of rose through the ranks to a sales manager, which is the position he now currently has. And it was so fascinating, when I was, I was writing this sermon, actually, I was out of town, I was in a hotel lobby, as I'm outlining this sermon about the futility of work, and this news story comes across the TV about Walter Orthman working for 84 years at the same place. And when asked like, what he's learned in his 84 years of being in the same place, this is what Orthman says. All I care about is that tomorrow will be another day in which I will wake up, get up, exercise, and go to work. You need to get busy with the present, not the past or the future. Here and now is what counts, so let's go to work. 
Now, here, here's, my, here's my question. Like, is, that, is this an inspiring story or a depressing story? I, 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 like, I genuinely don't know. It's like, are we to be motivated by Orthman's longevity and faithfulness, or are we to kind of see his story as like, gosh, like, what a, what a wasted life. Like, that's all it is. Like, all I focus on is getting up, exercising, and going to work every day. Like, is this an inspiring story or a depressing story? Now, in, in one sense, like, it's inspiring. Yeah, like, this guy has figured out a way to kind of be faithful and fruitful over the long haul in one place. But in another sense, well, like, we might he- hear these words, like, that's it? Like, that's the grand wisdom you have to offer? Like, just embrace the monotony of life and figure out how to embrace the daily grind until life's over? How are we to hear these words of Orthman? Is it meant to be inspiring or depressing? And the way in which we respond to Orthman's story is predicated on how we understand work. What is work? Why do we work? What is the purpose and design of it? Who, for whom do we work? Depending on how we answer those questions, we will either see Orthman's 84 years as meaningless servitude or meaningful service. And in many ways, this is what Kohelet, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, is asking of us. And so if you're new to Christ's community, if you are new to the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to take a moment to reorient us to this book. And so it's a very interesting book. It's one of my favorite books. In fact, it was the first book of the Bible that I read from cover to cover after I became a Christian. It's a fascinating book, but very interesting and unique because there are two voices in Ecclesiastes. There is a narrator who opens and closes the book and introduces us to this character named Kohelet, which is the Hebrew word for preacher or teacher. And Kohelet is this, is this livid, wise, experienced man who's kind of done everything that life has to offer. And he basically concludes that everything in this world, life under the sun, is meaningless. Happy Mother's Day. So that, that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, what, like, where am I right now? And, and so what he's saying, when he uses this phrase, life under the sun, it's a term to describe the world as if there isn't a God, or if there is a God, he is of no consequence or significance to us. And so if life under the sun is all we have, then everything is indeed meaningless. And so today we turn to the topic of work to see what is Kohelet trying to say to us. And what we'll see, and I'm kind of stealing my thunder a bit towards the end of the sermon, but what Kohelet is trying to do is actually awaken us to the fact that there is life beyond the sun. That while we feel as though life is meaningless, we also have this overwhelming, haunting feeling of oughtness that life ought to have meaning. And so Kohelet shows us as he's shown us already before, he's beating the same drum, riding the same one-trick pony, and showing that if life under the sun is all we have, then our life's work is up in smoke. It's meaningless. And this topic of work is, is highly relevant to all of us. Because work, I mean, God has created us and designed us in such a way that our lives and our livelihood, they are inextricably wrapped up with our work, as well as the work of others. Whether that's the work of being a student whether it's the work that we celebrate today of motherhood, the work that you are compensated for, or the work you retired from, work continues to form us and shape us in one way or another. But as we think about work, and as we think about the words of Kohelet here, the question that's probably running through our minds in some way is this. How do we not labor in vain? How do we not labor in vain? So much of life is work in some way, shape, or form, some form of contribution to the world, whether it's compensated or not. 
But how do we go about the majority of our lives and the majority of our days with an understanding that we labor not in vain? How do we avoid the harsh reality that work is just one endless cycle of futility? A cycle whereby we go to school, get a job, make money, and then leave that money for someone else who can go to school, get a job, make money, leave that money for someone else who can go to school, get a job, do I need to keep going? That, that's, I mean, we're laughing at this because that is the feeling of life. Is that what we're doing? Is it just this like endless infinity loop of futility that is described as work? Listen to what Kohelet says here. And again, this sounds really depressing, but I'm revealing kind of the end right now is that there is life beyond the sun. That's what Kohelet is awakening us to. But we need to feel the weight of a world under the sun without any sense of God's power and presence. Listen to what Kohelet says again in verse 18 and 19. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So for Kohelet, the context here, part of what's driving him to feel this sense of like despair and futility is the fact that death looms large in the background of Kohelet's life. It's the impending reality of our death, that there is a day that's coming that marks the end of our days that causes Kohala to ask the question, what is all of this for? Where is it all going? And if if this is the life, if this life under the sun is all we have, then it's pretty easy to conclude that life is meaningless. And so in order to distract us from this haunting feeling that life is meaningless, we busy ourselves with work hoping that our work and our contributions, as meaningful or as meaningless as it may be, it might drown out the voice that is subtly trying to tell us your work and your name will eventually be forgotten. And so we try to busy ourselves to distract ourselves from this haunting question. And so is this our grand hope? Is this what life is about? When we think about our work, whether paid or unpaid, in the home, outside the home, do we simply exist to keep existing? Do we simply work in order to help others keep working so that they can help others keep working? To what end? Where is it headed? Where is it all going? If work under the sun is all there is, then we may find ourselves strangely and very depressingly identifying with a very famous art exhibit at the Guggenheim Museum in New York City. There's an exhibit called Can't Help Myself, created by Chinese artists Sun Yuan and Peng Yu. And what this device is, it's a robotic arm that's powered by a hydraulic uh, engine, so to speak. And what it's programmed to do is to sweep the hydraulic fluid that is leaking out of itself. It's programmed to sweep that hydraulic fluid back into itself so that it can survive one more day in order that it can sweep the hydraulic fluid into itself so that it has the ability to sweep the hydraulic fluid into itself. Are you seeing the futility of work? The the, the point of what this device is meant to show us is that this is often what work feels like, that we are simply working to work, that there's no end in sight. We simply exist to work. I can't think of a better illustration to capture what Kohelet is trying to say about the futility of work if life under the sun is all we have. 
an unending infinity loop that feels like it's going nowhere. So, so maybe to bring some humor to it, okay, so this was actually an e-card that my sister texted me and my brothers a few years ago. Why, why must they want dinner every single night? That's kind of what, like, doesn't that kind of what feels like work is? It's just never ending. Like, I just fed you dinner last night. Why do you want it again, you know? That's kind of what it feels like. Or, or maybe you identify with the modern-day Kohelet Newman, the postal worker from Seinfeld. And if you're familiar with Seinfeld, you probably know one of Newman's famous rants that he goes on describing the monotony and the endlessness of mail. The mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming, and there's never a let up. It's relentless. Every day, it piles up more and more and more, and you've got to get it out. But the more you get it out, the more it keeps coming in. And then that's that's when Jerry comes in, Newman! And he just kind kind of silences it. But again, we have to laugh at this, because otherwise we'd be crying. Because we realize, we feel that there is a sense in which this is what work is. We have to laugh, otherwise we would cry. And so whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you are a postal worker, an engineer, a medical professional, a janitor, it doesn't matter what your vocation. It is hard for us to escape the curious thought and despairing feeling that our labor is in vain. And so here's what's so interesting, though. When Kohelet tries to awaken us to this, like, look, if life under the sun is all we've got, if there is no meaningful presence of God in this world, life and work feels meaningless. And so we fall into despair. But then Kohelet actually goes, but actually, you know what? It's even meaningless to fall into despair. He anticipates the despair we would feel in life under the sun, and he says this in verses 20 and 21. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it, and this also is vanity and a great evil. It's not that the leaving of resources for others behind us is a great evil, but despairing about the fact that our work feels meaningless is itself vanity. What Kohelet is saying is that there is no point in despairing about how pointless our work is Because there's no point to life to begin with, if life under the sun is all there is. That's the major conditional statement. If life under the sun is all there is, there's no point in even complaining about how life is pointless. If there is no God whose presence and power brings a purpose and a point to our lives, then we labor in vain and we have no reason to even complain about it. But this is where, strangely so, where the hope of Ecclesiastes emerges. As we dig and as we mine in this this mine of meaninglessness in Ecclesiastes, we find this glimmer of gold hope in what Kohelet is pointing us to. Because what he's saying to us, it should actually lead us to ask or conclude that there must be a point to all of this. He's saying, like, it's it's so futile to, to kind of even fall into despair, but yet we feel this sense that our lives should count for something. But why do we feel that? If life truly is pointless, then we would never have arrived at the point that life is pointless. You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying here? Like if, if, if truly, if there's no point to life, then where does this sense that my life should have a point come from? Listen to these words from someone who is definitely not C.S. Lewis, because I swore I would not keep quoting from him in this series, so listen to uh, this guy who's definitely not C.S. Lewis. If the whole universe has no meaning... We should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe, we should never know it was dark. 
dark would be without meaning. Some guy definitely not named C.S. Lewis. While we might feel as though life is meaningless, we can't seem to shake the fact that our life feels like it has meaning. Like, can any of us actually functionally conclude and live out a life that says life and work is meaningless? We have this overwhelming sense that our lives and subsequently our work, by extension, means something. It has some value attached to it. And that feeling of oughtness ought to lead us to ponder the question of the meaning of our work and what it's all building toward. But when we do, when we actually get to the point of reflecting and pondering and and asking the question, what is my life about? Why do I work? What is the point of all of it? When we actually do reflect on this, we do so through self-centered abstraction. And what I mean by that is this. When we reflect on what does the meaning of my work look like, We tend to answer that question from a place of self-justification or self-validation. That like my work must mean something because I need it to prove that I'm significant, worthy, and valid. And so we begin to attach our identity and our worth to our work. Or similarly, we stack accomplishments and successes on top of each other and we put them in a trophy case of some kind, hoping that by admiring them over our lifespan, we might feel a sense of validation that my work has meant something. And we chase after the next promotion, the next raise, the next acquisition, the next sale, whatever it is, the next project, hoping that that validation comes and it never arrives. It's a mirage that we chase. If work is for our own validation, if work becomes a self-salvation project, it absolutely is a chasing after the wind. But Kohelet, again, this this is where there's hope. Kohelet, what he's doing here, is lovingly bursting our bubble and telling us, like, look, if this is how you are viewing work, if work is meant to be a self-salvation, self-justification, self-validation project, you are going to be hauntingly disappointed. And instead, instead of trying to listen to him, instead of trying to see that there might be hope in this world, instead of trying to see that there's more to life than just living to work or working for a living, we just keep creating, climbing, and conquering through our work, hoping that the day will arrive that we will finally be enough. And we ignore Kohelet's wisdom. And in fact, we even ignore the the wisdom of modern-day Kohelet's who have journeyed this path and have come back to tell us, like, it's not what it's cracked up to be. If your life is about your work, you'll be hauntingly disappointed. And one such modern Kohelet is the very funny and surprisingly very wise Jim Carrey. Take a look at a speech he gave at the Golden Globes. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, like, I mean, truly, again, we have to laugh, otherwise we would cry. Comedy so often is a great conveyor of truth, is it not? And and the reason we're laughing at that is because we see the futility of trying to live for being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, whatever the the next thing is. And so so here's my question for us. Do we we ever feel what Jim Carrey is actually saying? Do you ever feel like you're not enough? That as much as you strive in all of your work, you just feel that I'm, I'm just not good enough. But if I could only accomplish this or arrive at this status level, this income bracket, then I would feel complete. And my guess is, friends, if you're like me, that you feel that sense occasionally that you are not enough, that your career, your intelligence, your strength, your beauty, 
your savings, your retirement, your parenting, your life's work all adds up, and the sum total is just not quite enough. It's not hard to feel this way when our work under the sun is all there is, if that's all we have to go on. We feel hurried, anxious, trapped, worthless, scared, and restless. We don't simply agree and nod our heads along with Kohelet when he says these words. We actually feel it physiologically in our bodies when he says in verse 22, what has man or humanity from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And so do you feel the futility of your Monday world? Wherever you find yourself this time tomorrow, do you feel the endlessness and the restlessness of it all? I feel it. I, as a pastor, I feel this. I mean, Sunday after Sunday, every, like a sermon every Sunday, like, and, it, and it can feel, it's hard to measure how like, effective I am in my job. How do you measure that? It's like, oh, like uh, salvations are up 18%. Like it's hard, you can't measure that. And, and, and truly, and I'm, and I'm not asking for like a compliment here, but like who remembers a sermon I preached four weeks ago, much less four years ago? And, and again, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not like crying inside about that, but I'm just saying we all feel the sense that we're, our work is not enough. We should not be surprised by our restlessness if life under the sun is all there is. So the question still remains, how do we not labor in vain under the sun? What hope is there for us? And what it requires to avoid laboring in vain, it requires, like so many things, changing our perspective to see that there is life beyond the sun. My family and I, we were recently watching the reality show Alone. If you've ever seen Alone, fascinating show. They take people, they place them in remote places to try to survive by themselves. They're their own camera crew. And inevitably, there's a moment where each contestant on camera is just honestly reflecting on their life. They're having this existential crisis before like the world in what they're reflecting on as they think about their life. And one such contestant, Larry, was honest with the camera and said this, a person can endure a lot of things for someone they love. Trying to endure those same things purely for yourself is not as easy. And he shares his vocation, I'm an electrician. And you might not think it's all that hard, but it's a lot of repetitive tasks. And I know that everybody has to go to work, I know it's just the way of the world, but for me, to think that I have 15 years left of basically wasting my life, waiting for the weekends, and just the mundane torture of it all. And he just kind of pauses there. I mean, he's, he's just echoing Kohelet. What he says earlier, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. But then after this pause, Larry concludes with these words. I'm going to have to make a change. I'm going to have to change my perspective. Or to use Kohelet's language, he has to realize that there is life beyond the sun. And so how do we not labor in vain? How do we not work as though the march of time is taking us nowhere? The answer to that question is found in the promises of God, in the promises of the one who has declared that he is making all things new. Not making all new things, but making all things new. This hope is found in the promise of him who is working through the work of his people, the way in which God is accomplishing his plans of restoring heaven and earth, redeeming all that has been broken by sin, is accomplishing his work through the work of his people to restore this broken world and to create a new heavens and a new earth. 
The hope for this question that we do not labor in vain is found in the promise that was given in the garden to the first humans to cultivate, to join God in creating a world where there is flourishing and beauty and development. It is the promise that is echoed by the prophets that the renewal of all things is on its way. It's as sure as yesterday, but it is coming. It is the promise that is portrayed in the very person of King Jesus himself whose work made possible the way for our work to be redeemed. And it is the promise yet to come that we see in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, pointing to where all of this is going, telling us definitively that there is life beyond the sun, that there is a new heavens and a new earth, a restoration, not an escapism, not disembodied souls floating around to heaven, but the restoration of heaven and earth made one yet again. Yet again. And so church, how do we know our labor is not in vain? Because there is life beyond the sun. Because God has called a people unto himself from all peoples and has empowered them to establish the work of their hands to join him in the work of redeeming and restoring all things. He has called a people unto himself who were redeemed by the blood of his son, filled by the power of his spirit to be ambassadors of love, truth, justice, and reconciliation as we are sent out into our Monday worlds wherever God has called us. And so friends, when our perspective changes regarding our work, we begin to see that God is at work in and through the work of his people, that our work is not incidental, but rather it is integral to the mission of God in restoring all things, that the majority of us who are sent out from this place are not simply working in order to fund the mission, so to speak. That's part of it, absolutely. But what we see is that God has called us and equipped us in the places he has sent us, in our vocations, in our homes, our schools, our places of work, to join him in seeing all things made new. How do we know that our labor is not in vain? Because he has promised that he is using our collective work to bring all of creation to its final consummation of the new creation. How do we know that our labor is not in vain? Because of the promise of God beautifully declared to us and that echoes throughout the biblical storyline and continues to reverberate in our lives and hearts, the promise declared in Isaiah 65. Hear these words, for behold, declaring what is to come. This is where everything is heading. This is why life under the sun is not all there is. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. No more shall there be heard in it the sound of weeping, And the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. Amen? Church, when this is our hope, when we understand that this is where everything is headed, that this is the grand story that we don't just simply give intellectual faith assent to, but is the story that makes sense of all of our stories, our labor is not in vain. And we know that because our faith is not in vain. And we know that our faith is not in vain because Jesus did not live or die or rise again in vain. Amen? His life of righteousness that we receive by faith makes us right. And you know what that means? We have nothing to prove. And his death on the cross for our sin declares us forgiven. Do you know what that means? We have nothing to hide. And his victory over the grave, his victorious resurrection secures our hope and the hope of all things being made new. And do you know what that means? We have nothing to fear. 
When this good news of Jesus invades our hearts and transforms our lives, the news that God is working to make all things new and restore heaven and earth once again, then we are able to enter into whatever Monday brings us with a firm conviction and hope that we do not labor in vain. For his labor for us was absolutely not in vain. There is life beyond the sun, and that is what leads us to conclude that we do not labor in vain. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for the grand, beautiful, mysterious, glorious story of you moving all of creation and existence from a garden to a city, of making all things new, that you have so graciously invited us by the power of your Spirit as, as those who are citizens of your kingdom, pledging allegiance to your Son as King, that you've invited us to join you in your work of seeing all things made new. Lord, remind us that we do not toil or labor in vain. Would you give us an animation by the power of your Spirit to see the work you've called us to as a means by which you are at work in this world? For we truly are your hands and feet in this world, bringing peace, shalom, and healing. And so, Lord, would you show us the futility of working for ourselves, that we might see the beauty of what it means to be called unto you, that you have called us to establish the work of our hands for the blessing of others, the glory of your name, and the restoration of all things. And may it be so for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.